Fires, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. Social distance, of course. You know it. You love it. It is Victory Lane. Today on the Jimmy Johnson edition of the show. I mean, 48. Who who else is it going to be, right? Enough said. Seven time, the goat. Want to hear my goat impersonation? Here it is. Ah. Now, uh, that was something you probably didn't want to hear. Let's just let's just move on here. We have nothing to recap and nothing to preview, really. I mean, we have the iRace going on at Bristol this weekend, but sorry, I'm just not going to do an esports preview each week because, one, I'm not knowledgeable enough on that type of stuff. Um, I don't really think anybody needs it. Maybe some people want it. I don't know. You could probably find that somewhere else. Point of the matter is Jimmy Johnson edition of Victory Lane. We have a Jimmy Johnson-esque broadcaster. Hmm? Maybe too premature to say, but a Jimmy Johnson-type friend to me, Hannah Newhouse, on the show. It was great catching up with her, obviously. Works at Motor Racing Network. Does stuff with the NASCAR Heat Pro League. Has her own podcast called Sealed Off. Uh, we, of course, delved into the infamous douchebag comment uh, at Bristol with Riley Herbst. And I had an, a unique perspective for that, and we got into that. Hannah's been one of my really, really close good friends since I kind of delved. Is it delved or dove? I don't know. Since I dove into the industry kind of full bore. Um, obviously, from Idaho, we talked about that and her racing background and why she and when she kind of transitioned from being a race car driver to working in racing on the broadcast side of things. So it was a really great, really long chat, as you can see. But I, I think you'll enjoy every single second of this interview. I learned a lot. I had a great time catching up with her. Uh, and she's just a great person and a great girl to have in your life. So here, without further ado, is Hannah Newhouse on Victory Lane. It is a pleasure to welcome on the woman, the myth, the legend, Hannah Newhouse. Now, a peek behind the curtain here. So when I tweeted out the link to my podcast with Ryan Vargas... I got a text probably about, I don't know, 45 seconds later from Hannah saying, yo, when am I on the pod? So I was like, when do you want to be on the pod? So listen, I was planning on having you on, but I was planning on doing like a face-to-face convo. But with coronavirus, that's kind of not able to happen. So for all you listeners, you can thank Hannah herself for being on this very episode. Yeah, desperate desperate times call for desperate measures. Um, and I actually, when I text you, then I saw how quickly you had tweeted that tweet. And I was like, oh, I'm totally one of those people. And I was like, I should have at least waited. You're just so bored and desperate. You have nothing better to do. Oh, man. Yeah, we, uh, we literally have been that's what it is. Self-quarantining here since Atlanta weekend, uh, the Thursday of Atlanta, for that matter. So uh, I think I don't even know what day, how long that's been. At least a solid week and a half, almost two weeks. So going slightly insane here i'm sure i'll yell at my dog a couple times because mm-hmm. she is just in all the mischief but no she I'm, will I'm... make appearances on this episode oh many janet times. yes i'm uh, looking forward it, to it yeah but i'm not i'm glad uh i'm glad this all finally panned out and hey you know we, we, we can do a part two when racing gets kicked back up i'll hold you to that and i might have janet come on too yes janet loves making appearances it's just it's janet's world we're just living in it 
it, that that could not be more true. And we'll get to Janet. I have a lot of ground that I want to cover with you. Um, but let's start off with with the coronavirus crisis, I guess you could say. I mean, everybody's trying to kind of navigate it and handle it in their own way. On a personal level for you, how are you doing? Are you are you safe? Are you healthy? Everything good? Yeah, yep. Everything uh, is good over here. It's been, like you'd said, uh, pretty interesting. We, you know, I work with the Motor Racing Network. We were actually in route to Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, we were about 20 minutes from the racetrack when we got the phone call from NASCAR that they are, we're going to postpone that race. And so that was just unfortunate because we'd just done a four and a half hour drive there only to turn around and do a four and a half hour drive home. But um, other than that, yeah, all, all things are good here. Staying healthy. Fortunately, you know, we've got Janet here. Uh, we've been staying busy trying to pump out as much digital content as we can, you know, from a mm-hmm. remote location, which has definitely posed its challenges. I am not the most technically advanced person, as you know. And so uh, <laughs> it's been interesting, but we're actually getting ready to move on Monday. So it couldn't have come at a worse time, realistically, to try and move. But at the same time, it's kind of a blessing because we don't have to work necessarily. So yeah. we're able to just really focus on moving. So that'll be nice. It'll be something to you know, really dive into, get packed, unpack, get the house decorated. But It'll be interesting. It's it's strange times we're living in. It always ends up working out that way when you have like one of the biggest logistical hurdles to go in your actual adult life that it comes at the worst possible time in humanity. It's it's just just bound to happen that way. It's just part of life's funny jokes. It'd be like that sometimes. It do. It really do. <laughs> well, you said that it means no work for you like many people in the industry, myself included. I mean, this is the time where if you have a full-time job with benefits, you're, you're thanking your lucky stars here. But even those people are still getting furloughed, specifically in the sports industry. Yesterday, I saw the Bruins laid off like 68 of their employees or, or something like that. And it's one of those things that happens when you're in positions like us where you're still young in this industry. You're trying to kind of work your way up, get connections, get opportunities. Uh, but you also are like kind of established in that respect And it's good for you because you have a bunch of different opportunities and we'll get to all of them here, but it sucks because it means no work and no paychecks. Yeah, it's definitely been uh, something that none of us thought we would be positioned with here. I mean, we take that risk being freelancers and contractors, knowing that realistically at any point we could be without work, but Mm -hmm. usually in that position, we're able to find other work or, you know, you constantly have connections, but the world is at a standstill right now. I mean, no one is able to hire because there's nothing to report on. There's no sports, no nothing. So realistically, we're forced in a standstill. So it's been it's been difficult. I mean, I'm fortunate that I have a little bit of a nest egg um, that I'm able to pull from. And oddly enough, um, last season or last year, I was introduced to the world of esports. I had knew nothing about it. I had no experience. My knowledge was very minimal. And I was like, what am I getting myself into? Like, this is not something I ever saw myself doing. And man, has it paid its dividends. I mean, we've seen how much it's grown just in the last two weeks. And uh, to work alongside a lot of people with esports has been a blessing to not only provide some of that income, but also to provide that racing fix uh, for not only myself as a broadcaster, but to provide it with fans as well. 100%. And I'll dive into that as well, because just as we're recording this last night, you were on the NASCAR Heat Pro League broadcast from Mid-Ohio, did a great job as always. So we'll, we'll dive into that. But let's first dive into you in general and the work. I, it's kind of an overarching question, but like, how did you get to where you are now, which is 
at MRN, working with the NASCAR Heat Pro League. I mean, you had a bunch of stops along the way, but kind of looking at the grander picture of things, kind of from a 30,000-foot view, how the heck did you get to where you are right now? Um, That is a wonderful question. I always love when I get asked (laughs) that because this was not really on my plan, my radar, my 10-year plan 10 years ago. It wasn't necessarily to be a broadcaster. I grew up in a small town in southern Idaho, and I was going to be a race car driver. And I put everything I had into it. I graduated high school early. Um, I, you know, went to Boise State University, who was sponsoring my race car. We were running in the Arkham West Series. Yeah, blue turf, Smurf turf. And, um, (laughs) you know, I was going to go to school for business and marketing because I was like, well, that's only going to help my racing career. You know, if I can market myself even better. Turns Mm -hmm. out I'm terrible at math and i Join the loved club. my public spe- yeah oof. i loved my public speaking courses and you know my dad we we joke my dad's a used car salesman owns used car dealerships and so the stigma that comes with a used car dealer you know um i always say i take after my dad in that aspect of i've always liked to talk loved interviews loved doing anything i could and love my public speaking course i was like hmm maybe this is something that i want to do But I honestly took it as an approach of writing. I wanted to write and do those interviews and then write about them. And so when I moved to North Carolina in 2016, it was still to become a race car driver. And over that offseason, nothing really seemed to pan out for me. I was 18, didn't have anything lined up and refused to move back home and essentially fail is what I, I saw it as. So I got picked up by a small company at the time called Speed 51 And they picked me up as a writer. I was writing press releases and I was writing stories and uh, doing very minimal on-camera stuff. And the owner, Bob Dillner, was like, hey, do you want to try doing some stand-ups, doing some recordings? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Throw throw, throw it at me. And it snowballed so quickly. I mean, that was in 2017, uh, midway through 2017 at that. And here we are in 2020. Um, you know, I get to work with the biggest radio network in motorsports of Motor Racing Network. Um, I'm one of their pit reporters. I've done cup races. You know, I've dabbled in some TV. I mean, I never would have thought two years ago that this would have landed me where it did. But it has had a crazy way of working itself out because I love it and I wouldn't change it for anything. 100%. And like you mentioned, you had stops along the way on your way to MRN at Speed 51. I think maybe you had an internship with KNN and you worked with Monster Energy too, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. It was, uh, again, I think a lot of that goes back to the freelancer mindset. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was no way that I was going to be able to do what I wanted to do and pay the bills at the to- at the time because I just had minimal experience and was starting at the bottom of the totem pole. So, yeah, I got the chance to work with k filters throughout college. I was going to school, trying to race, um, but also was trying to stay relevant among the uh, NASCAR scene. So k filters brought me on to do their social media for the k series. And then... When I moved out here, I was working for Speed 51, but on uh, cup weekends, I would my 2017 was an insane year for me. I was working Monday through Thursday in the office at Speed 51, usually was going to a short track Friday and Saturday to work for Speed 51 covering whatever short track race was near me. And then I was driving home Saturday night, almost all the way through the night to the airport most of the time to go to the airport in statesville jump on a plane fly to the cup race on sunday work all day sunday with monster um in the monster energy girls program i actually helped manage them and would fly home sunday and do it again the next week i mean it was an insane year for me but i met so many people that opened up so many doors 
And uh, realistically, that kind of opened the door over MRN. I've known the folks over there for a while just through my racing career. Um, actually, they used to call me and interview me as a driver. And when I found myself in North Carolina, they were like, hey, we've seen you at the racetrack. We think you kind of fit the personality and the insight that we're looking for on one of our shows. What do you say you come in? And uh, that title landed on Coast to Coast. And then I wanted more. I'm like, well, maybe I should audition to do Pit Road. Again, nothing I ever really saw myself doing. And auditioned and got the gig. And it's been, it's been, a, it's been a huge blessing. The folks over there, the folks everywhere pretty much that I've worked have all been so welcoming and wanting to help me learn and excel. And it's, it's been incredible. Yeah, that's why I think we're, I think that's why we get along so well together because we're, we're, we're kind of the same mold in the sense of if there's an opportunity to do something and it might not even be in front of you and you might not even seek it out, but if it's presented to you, you'll jump on it and you'll give your 110% into it because you never really know what might happen. And that's kind of how you've gotten to where you are today. And I want to go back for a second too. So when you were driving through the night to Statesville, hopping on a plane and going to the cup race on Sundays, you, I mean, you must have been what, 17, 18 years old at that point? Yep. I believe I was, uh, 18 or nine. I think I was 19. I think I just okay. turned 19 in 2017. I'm trying to do the math here. That sounds, um, that's insane. Yeah. No, it, it's been, it, it was, I was 19, uh, doing that. So it's, it was crazy. I mean, again, I was looking at my friends that were just getting ready to go into their, you know, sophomore year of college and the yeah. lives they were living. And then what I was living and even still to this day, I mean, I'm 20, I just turned 23 in February mm-hmm. and I look at, you know, the life that I get to live and my friends are just graduating college. This is, they're supposed to be their senior year. It's and nuts. what I've been fortunate enough to accomplish thus far, I mean, it's been incredible. And actually, I, I don't know if you have this scheduled into your thing, but I have to tell you about the first time I met you. Cause obviously we met through NASCAR home tracks. I remember I had gotten a phone call that said, Hey, this guy's going to work with you this weekend. His name is Davey. And I was like, okay, sounds good. Kind of knew like who a, you were. Not yeah. really. I remember you got in the car and we just started talking. I don't know, what race was this at? Do you know? Um, was it Iowa? I'll have to like go back afterwards and look, but I, cause I'm, I think this was cause I, th- I remember when they had the first race on the Las Vegas dirt that was the second year that we worked no, no, together. No. It was Tucson, remember? That's right, because we were with Diego, and then we were looking at the toilet and the yeah. Okay, yeah, it was Tucson. Was it was yep. Tucson. So I remember you yep. and I were standing there, and we were all talking, and you said something along the lines of, "You know how you're gonna remember me?" And I was like, "How am I gonna remember you? I have no idea who you are." You're like, "I'm the biggest Jewish NASCAR fan you'll ever meet," and I was yep. like who is this kid? Like what in the world? And I remember like texting, uh, one of our bosses and I was like, where did you find this kid? And he's like, I don't know. You guys all find me. And I was like, good point. And I didn't oh, know what geez. I was getting myself into. And flash See, I, forward, I tell that to everybody, but just hearing it back makes it sound even funnier. It was just so funny. Cause I didn't know who you were. And I was like, <laughs> who in the hell is this kid? And I'm going to have to work with him all year. And yeah. now it's so funny because now, I mean, we obviously we look forward to it. It's like a little reunion because yeah. we don't get to work as many races together. Right. That's so funny. Yeah. Tucson. <laughs> that must have been. Oh, God. I guess that was Tucson 2018. It was, it was, yeah, it was the Chili Willy. It was spring. It was uh, like That's January, right. Chris February Eggleson 2018. Won that race. Yep. My dad was racing. Uh-huh. That's right. Wow. Yeah. That wasn't actually in my notes, but I'm glad you brought it up because <laughs> 
it was in my notes about working together with what's now NASCAR roots, but home tracks and stuff. We've had a lot of good, good, bad, and different memories there. Oh, uh, different man. story for different day. But um, yeah, I I didn't even remember that to be honest, because I literally tell tell that to like everybody that I meet and that I network with. I'm like, hey, you may not like. You may not remember all these people that come up to you and introduce yourself, but guess why you'll remember me? Like even Haley Deegan, she showed me one time in her phone, my name is Davey Jewish NASCAR reporter. Yeah, I don't, it's just so funny. Like, I mean, it's all for being marketable, like the way that you can make yourself different from everyone else. Yeah. And I was just like, who the heck is this kid? <laughs> well, I'm glad I made an impact on you. Yeah, yeah, here we are two years later. <laughs> All right. Um, let's get back to your racing career for a second. Um, you, you mentioned that you're from Idaho. You're one of two people that I know from the state of Idaho. I thought that it was just, oh, I also have a funny story for you about Idaho. You're going to think I'm a dumbass, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. I may have already told you. So the first time I was flying to Meridian Speedway, I think that was 2017 when Michael Self won. Uh-huh. So I was flying there. And I mean, me being from the DC area, you know, like Idaho, what's out there? Nothing but potatoes, right? It's a conspiracy Obviously. theory. Yeah, it is. So I'm flying over uh, Boise, right? And we're about to <laughs> land. And I'm s- stupidly looking at the window and I'm saying, hey, where are all the potatoes? Like, I thought there was just potato farms, like literally everywhere. And it took me until I got back home after the race weekend when I was telling one of my friends that I was upset that I didn't see any potatoes on my flight in. And they were like, you know, potatoes grow underground, right? I was like, but what? 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 <laughs> I was like so shook. And I was like, wow, I'm really that dumb. I did not know potatoes grew underground. Well, I knew, but I just didn't. It didn't click. I was like, oh, Idaho, potatoes everywhere. Yeah, potatoes. And even trees. though they, yeah, I was like, yeah, they grow on trees. They're just falling on the ground every single day. But no, I was a dumbass and I didn't realize that. So hopefully that made you laugh. Yeah, fun, fun fact, actually. Um, Idaho actually produces more dairy than Wisconsin. So rightfully so, really? we can be called the cheese state because we have more dairy wow. than Wisconsin does. So fun fact for you there. Why is that the case? Like everybody associates it with potatoes. Nobody associates it with dairy. That's I don't know. Weird. Yeah. Well, it's also like one of those things like technically speaking, uh, California produces more oranges than Florida. Yeah. But yeah Florida I guess has- like... So it's just like one of those things that at some point someone was like, you get an orange, you get a potato, you get cheese. (laughs) You get a gallon of milk. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. All right. Well, this turned into a geography lesson. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Okay. Back to your racing career. So uh, your dad, I know you said he's a used car salesman, but he also raced a little bit. And like you said, you did throughout high school. So if you would, just kind of take me back there a little bit more. I mean, I actually did some hardcore stalking of you uh, because I wanted to get all the information that I possibly could. I went back in your Instagram to find all those embarrassing pictures of you uh, wearing your Boise State driver uniform and on the hero cards and everything. I mean, you were doing this since you were very young. It looked like middle school up through high school. So just like kind of take me back there, going to Meridian every weekend, uh, working on your car with dad and, and racing the local legends out there. I mean... It had to be one of those things where looking back on it, it's way more fun than it was in the moment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you said it there. I'm, I'm a second generation racer. My dad actually's first love is for motorcycles and motocross. And that's what he did when I was really young initially. And when I was about three, he got a terrible motocross accident, um, broke his leg really bad and was like, my kids aren't going to race motorcycles. And so he bought go-karts. And so he was racing go-karts and then, you know, started racing like modifieds and that kind of stuff around our local track. 
And when we were old enough, he put us kids in go-karts. I think I was four and a half or five. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. I mean, I raced go-karts till I was probably 12 and then moved up to pro trucks, which are like 604 crate motors, and then up to limited late models and super late models, and then up to the, the K&N series, which is now obviously the ARCA series, ARCA Menards West. So, I mean, yeah, it was crazy. I, I, I look back on it now, and I think about what we were able to accomplish and the memories that came with it. I mean, out here on the East Coast, I get a giggle when people are like, oh, my gosh, we have to drive four and a half hours to the racetrack. It's like, <laughs> folks, I'm from southern Idaho. We had yeah. – Meridian Speedway, which was an hour and a half from my house, and then I had a racetrack about a mile from my house, too, but we didn't race there very often. Um, but other than that, I mean, Utah was five hours from us. Vegas was nine and a half. Uh, Irwindale Speedway we went to frequently. That one was 12 and a half. We went to, you know, Madera and Roseville and Spokane, Washington and uh, Northern Idaho. Those are all 13 plus hour drives, and we did it on a weekend basis. But that's what you had to do. I mean, we just didn't have the luxury of having racetracks that were close. So we spent countless hours in the car driving to and from tracks and some of the best memories ever. I mean, I actually got the chance. I still dabble when I have a free weekend to go home and race. And last year I went home and ran a 200 lapper, which was my first mistake. I've not driven a race car in almost two years at that point. To go home and run 200 laps was absurd. But we finished third, so <laughs> yeah, I was I know. excited about that. Um, oh, I almost died. But um, it was just so much – not that I did not have fun when I was racing the first time around. But you just I didn't appreciate so much, it as much. Well, I think the pressure was on. That entire time that I was racing, I had the intent that I was going to make it. So I had constant eyes on me. I knew that my finishes, you know – we're going to go on that record of, oh, mm -hmm. you know, look how she finished that weekend. When I went home last year, I'm not trying to be a race car driver anymore. I am set in this broadcasting path. I want to be a reporter. Right. So I went home and just had fun. And I did things that I wouldn't have done in the car four years ago. I took risks. I used that front bumper like no one's business because yeah, I was did. out there having fun. And I wasn't worried about, you know – people judging me on how I finished. If I'd have finished 10th, I'd have finished 10th. I had a great time doing it. And it just reminded me of like how much fun this sport is. And then I also like sympathize kind of for the kids that are doing this right now. And the kids that are trying to be race car drivers right now, because it is tough, man. It is watching your every move. You can't say the wrong thing. You have to say, you know, make sure you're always saying the right thing. You have to be the whole package. I mean, it is so stressful. And part of that's the same in broadcasting, as we know. But, yep. um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm so thankful for that racing career that I had and the races that I was able to run because it – we talk about constantly separating yourself and making yourself different from everyone else. There aren't really any other female broadcasters out there in motorsports that can go to Dover or they can go to Richmond or go to Phoenix and say, I've raced here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's what's so cool about being able to differentiate myself from everyone else. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the stress that was constantly on you at that point when you're, I mean, you're in your teenage years, you're, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. And I think obviously some of that comes from the fact that you're a female and female and race car drivers don't go hand in hand. I mean, they, they are now more mainstream than they have been in the past, which is a good thing. And the times are finally 
coming around. And you've obviously been a huge advocate of, of female racers coming into the sport, whether it's Haley Deegan or Natalie Decker, um, Angela Ruck. You know, there's there's a bunch that are coming into the sport on a national series level, not even to mention, you know, Brittany Zamora. I know you raced with Nicole Bihar a bunch. Was, the, was some of the stress and the anxiety that kind of came from when you were racing at that young age, I mean, some of it had to be because there were a bunch more eyes on you because you were a female race car driver. That's just kind of the name of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lynn St. James was actually one of my mentors through a lot of my racing career, which was amazing. Again, I look back on that now and I'm like, holy cow, what a freaking name to be associated with. And, right. uh, she had made a statement one time. We actually did a, we, a bunch of students from Chapman university came up and filmed a mini documentary on me and Lynn St. James was part of that documentary too. And she said, when you're a female in motorsports, you race under a microscope. Whenever, whenever you do something good, it's magnified simply because you're a female in this racing world. But when you do something wrong, it's magnified 10 times more because you're a mm-hmm. female. So you were constantly, you know, competing against everyone else that was in the field with you because you had to prove yourself you know, 10 times over, but then you were also proving yourself against the other females. I mean, you hate to admit it and I can admit this now, but when I was racing with Nicole Bihar and Julia Landauer, and Julia is one of my really good friends now, yep. um, you went out there and you raced your race, but you had to finish in front of the other female. It, it just honestly was how it is. Like you, it's you like know, the race within the race. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I honestly don't feel like any of those guys necessarily went out there and were like, oh, well, I have to finish in front of, you know, Jagger Jones. I have to. No. Like, there's not that flatline comparison between two specific drivers. But when there's girls in the field, you're going to notice which girl finishes in front of the other. And it's so weird. And I'm so thankful very, very often – Obviously, I still have tons of friends that are still drivers or still trying to race uh, at all levels of NASCAR. And I very frequently find myself telling myself, thank goodness I got out when I did. And it's <laughs> like one of those weird things that I say that and I'm like, that sounds terrible. But the financial aspect that comes with it, the stress of finding sponsorship, the constant rejection, it oh, will yeah. be a person down. The constant comparison will beat a person down. And now I'm like, Janet, quit. And uh, Her first appearance. Oh, She's literally, I'm like sitting on the couch and she's literally on the back of the couch dropping this gigantic bone on my head. <laughs> she wants I'm, to play. She's, a, she's ridiculous. Janet, we're doing a podcast. Let us be. Oh, she says, mom, mom's been on her phone all day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. So I, I constantly say that, you know, I'm really good friends with Amber Balkin and she's faced a lot of adversity and trials and trying to find a mm-hmm. ride and find sponsorship. And her and I hash things out a lot of brainstorming things. And it's, it's similar in broadcasting. You have to sell yourself and you're constantly no doubt. prepared, but it's not about how much money you can bring to the table for a broadcasting job. You know what I mean? At yeah. least you have some of those, some of those things within your control. Sorry, I, think I just part like, of it, went to win in a TED Talk there. No, 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 no. I, I love it. <laughs> that, that's what this is all about. And I think, honestly, part of it, too, and I'm sure you've had experience with this. I've had experiences with it on the K&N slash ARCA level um, in the past couple of years, too, when, you know, there's drivers like Haley Deegan and Brittany Zamora in the field. And it's not just the female drivers want to beat their fellow female competitors. 
I mean, the male drivers want to beat them too because in in some of their minds, it's like, I oh damn, I just got girl. beat by a girl, right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So it's like, I mean, I'll, I'll go on, I'll go on the front stretch when, let's say, you know, Haley Deegan finishes second, and I'll, I'll talk to the third place finisher, and he'll before we start recording, he'll look at me and he'll be like, well, damn, she drove it pretty well tonight or something like that, and I'm like. I mean, yeah, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, and I guess she's, she's different, but it's one of those things where just because it's a female race car driver doesn't mean that it's not a race car driver. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's such a strange world we, we live in when it comes to that. And like you said, uh, people are coming more and more around to it. Uh, I will preach this time and time again. And honestly, I kind of get knocked for it sometimes. I'm a huge advocate of Haley and how she handles herself because she is very authentically herself. She doesn't Unapologetically sell out. so. Yep. She she will tell someone to shove it if they tell her to not do something. And I appreciate that. She's fortunate that it is vying in her favor because there are a lot of people that I know and I struggle with myself where I'm unapologetically myself. And honestly, it kind of digs me in some holes sometimes. But, you know way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so um, – you know, she's fortunate that it's panned out for her, and I hope that continues. And I also appreciate the people that she has behind her not pushing her. She's not going, oh, I have this attention, I'm going to go truck racing. Or, oh, I have this attention, I'm going to go, you know, race Xfinity because I can. She did her time. She proved herself in the K&N series and the West series. She started dabbling in the East. Now she's ARCA racing. I wouldn't be surprised if she makes a truck starter too this year. Mm-hmm. Um She's trying the sports car racing to get her hand at road course racing. Like that girl has all the time in the world. She can be 20 years old when she first moves up to, you know, Xfinity series. That's fine. That's totally fine. I I completely agree. And I think it's good that it's becoming more of a, more of an accepted thing now where, Whereas when the Danica craze was happening, it was all over mainstream media. Uh, first female racer to, to win a pole in the Daytona 500. First female racer to finish top five in an Xfinity race. But now it's becoming one of those things where it's like, okay, yes, Haley Deegan was the first female driver to win a K&N race. But how about her teammate, who's also a female? How about Nicole Bihar and Julia Landauer, who came before her and ran inside the top five? And how about Shauna Robinson? And how about Janet Guthrie? And, mm-hmm. and all these uh, female predecessors that came before our time all right let's get back to racing here um so you mentioned kind of not racing let's get back to your work (laughs) so you mentioned that um once you decided to kind of pivot from racing to the broadcasting side of things the reason was essentially there weren't many opportunities there out for you and they were kind of drying up that's kind of a, a a main thing for young racers trying to get their way started in the business but with the media business and the broadcasting business, you said your first role was kind of with Speed 51, and that was one of those things where you were writing, and then Bob offered you some opportunities to do on-camera stuff, which then led to your opportunity at MRN, which is where people probably know you for most right now. So how did that specific opportunity come about in the first place? And kind of take me back there, because I kind of know a peek behind the curtain of how the auditions work and the people that are uh, helping you with those things. So take me back there to your audition and how the the opportunity to have a shot uh, with the blue shirts came into the first place. Yeah. So in uh, winter of 2017, I think going into 18. Um, it's like forever ago. Yeah. It feels like so long ago. Um, you know, Kyle Ricky over at Motor Racing Network, who's now my co-host on NASCAR Coast to Coast. I'd known him 
for quite some time because he'd interviewed me multiple times on NASCAR Coast to Coast when I had a racing career myself. And just mm-hmm. throughout 2018 or 17, when I would be at the racetrack with Monster, he would always, you know, be like, hey, if you get a chance, come into the MRN hall or like I'll introduce you to the people. So I kind of got to know the people over there a little bit. And uh, over that winter, Buddy Long uh, parted ways with Coast to Coast. And so Kyle had kind of reached out to me and was like, hey, what do you think about this? We think you fit that role. Like you have the inside of a driver, but you also, you know, are trying to cultivate this career. It might be a pretty cool opportunity. And I was like, heck yeah, like let's, let's try it. So I went in there for an audition and basically how they auditioned me is um, we called up Ryan Priest and we did a mock show, how we would opening the show, how we would do interviewing him, that kind of stuff. And before I even left, they were like, you're good. We, we want you to, we want you to um, be the co-host on this show. So I was ecstatic. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm going to have a weekly show. Like this show. is your big break. Yeah, this is my big break. And I was like, how do I get to the racetrack though? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't want to necessarily be a host. Not that I don't love my job doing NASCAR coast to coast and that kind of stuff. But I was like, but I want to be part of the action. I want to be at the racetrack. Like that's, you know, ultimately where I thrive, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh. And again, this is like December, January-ish. Um, they were like, well, you have to go through an audition process. Uh, do you think you can get down to Daytona for the 500? And I was like, yeah, I could probably figure it out. And at the time, I was still working part-time with NASCAR Home Tracks. And I was working for Speed, I was working speed Weeks that week. And they were like, okay, cool. Uh, the day of the truck race, we want you to come to the racetrack. We'll suit you all up, that kind of stuff. And we'll do a mock audition on pit road during qualifying let me tell you i have been so nervous i've almost thrown up probably twice <laughs> in my life and that was one of them i mean what was I the other was, one uh the other one was qualifying for phoenix in the k&n okay. series that was i figured <laughs> um so, <laughs> anyway sorry yeah so i was mortified i just i didn't know how they did this i'd never been any mm-hmm. part of any live production like this and uh, the guys over there were phenomenal. They all talked me through it. And I'm going to throw Kyle Ricky under the bus here. I'm pretty sure it was Kyle and maybe Alex Hayden up in the booth. Oh, no, Kyle Ricky was on pit road with me. He was helping me with my audition. But the guys up in the booth I knew, and they threw me curveballs. This was the first time that the trucks had rolled the new Ilmore motor out, right? Ah, uh, yeah. I was somewhat educated on it, but not entirely educated on it. And they came down to me in my audition to elaborate on the transition into the Ilmore motor and why teams (laughs) did that. And let me tell you, I deserve an award for how well I bullshit that. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason I got this job because they were like, well, (laughs) we're pretty sure that's not right. But she sounded like she knew what she was talking about. They're like, if she could bullshit about the Ilmore motor, which nobody knows about, she's good enough for us. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was their thought process. And, uh, oh my gosh, it was, it was great. Like it it panned out really well. And, uh, later that year they were like, well, cool, perfect. And I got to work, I think, uh, three Xfinity races and five truck races that year. And, uh, you know, by the next year I had seven, eight cup races. So again, zero to hundred super quick. I mean, they put their full faith in me, which I appreciate, you know, I've dabbled in hosting the pre-race show for cup races for them. Um, I mean, the group of people over there, and you've met them, Davey, they're bar none. I mean, they are oh, yeah. they are a, a unique group of people, and they're hands down some of the best coworkers you can have. 
They're just so cool. Like, honestly, I mean, and a peek behind the curtain too. I think I, I probably told people on the podcast, but I had an audition with MRN as well at Iowa last year. And Hannah was actually the one that kind of helped me and spearheaded kind of putting the wheels in motion for that to happen. It was so fun. Like it was, it was just so fun. Dan Hubbard was in the booth. Kurt Becker was in the booth. Um, I was on pit road with somebody else who was doing their audition as well. Um, you were helping me. Dylan was helping me as well. It it was just so fun because you hear, I mean, growing up, going to races all the time, you always hear the witty banter that goes on in commercial breaks. And it was like that literally just coming to real life. And like before that, I think it was Richmond when I asked if I could come say hi to you, you were in the MRN hauler and I literally just walked in. Everybody was in their blue shirts, just chilling. Alex was watching the masters. Uh, Mike Bagley was in there. It was literally like I was trying not to be starstruck because it was one of those things where it was a professional networking type deal. But I was like, holy shit, this is MRN. Like these are the people, this is the soundtrack of my childhood. And it's funny too, because the way that they are in between commercial breaks, if you guys know what I'm talking about, that's literally, literally exactly how they are in person too. And it's, I mean, again, I, I second your notion there. They are they are the greatest people, bar none. And I mean, it's not like when they get on mics, like their work sucks. I mean, <laughs> they're freaking MRN. So it's it's just really cool that you're able to be a part of something like that. Yeah, no, I always uh, I had the same introduction, you know, where I had listened to them multiple times, and you hear Bagley and Moody, and you know, you hear Alex and Jeff up in the booth, and they're so professional and well spoken and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow, man, these are top notch professionals, like look at these guys. They're the best of the best. And little you, do you like, know. <laughs> yeah. Little do you know what goes on in that hauler little yeah. or like between commercial breaks, they're king of inappropriate dad jokes. I mean, it oh, is, yeah. it is so much fun just to put into context. Kurt Becker, you'd mentioned him. He sent Dylan um, and I a group text today out of the blue that says, um, hi guys. So since I am elderly, I could have been dead of COVID-19 by now. Not sure if you guys would have cared. <laughs> <laughs> haven't heard from you, but it's okay. And Dylan responds and said, I would have been more worried about who would feed Dum Dum if you had contracted it, which is his cat. And then we started talking about a gal he's been seeing, and he said that he took her on a date to get her colonoscopy last week. Like, folks, oh this is common God. conversation between our broadcasters. <laughs> We're all friends. We all go to dinner after the races together. We go do lunch, and we want to. It's not forced. You know, in the yeah. TV world, there's a little bit of a divide of, you know, who's top dog, who's not, who's the newcomer. Never one time in that truck did I feel like the newcomer. And most of those guys could be my dad, if not my grandpa, realistically. Oh, yeah. There's so much to unpack with that text message, though. I oh, my mean, gosh. Wow. So funny. First of all, Kurt, Kurt is such a cat guy, like not even a contest. And second of all, I hope that he didn't go with this girl that he's seeing to the colonoscopy during corona season. I hope that didn't happen. But oh, it's just very on-brand across the board for Kurt Becker. Yeah, That's why we love him, though. They're so fun. They're they're a blast. I mean, Kyle Ricky, I laugh at him because, again, he's almost my dad's age. But he's, like, one of my better friends, honestly. And he's my co-host. And all we do is rip on each other as much as we possibly can. It's great. I love it. I definitely am blessed with a incredible group of people to work with. And your duty's there now. So we got your co-hosting Coast to Coast, which is every Wednesday or so. And that's talking about local, regional, international touring series type racing. Uh, you contribute to other shows as well. I think you're on NASCAR Live a couple times in the off season, and also to start off this season uh, with like the social roundup type stuff. And you have your own podcast called Sealed Off with Jacqueline Drake, which is talking about 
late model racing. I mean, so, and it goes back to what you said in, in terms of you got, you pretty much got the gig as, as co-host of coast to coast. And you're like, but wait, I want to go to the track. So then you had the audition, you kick butt at that. You keep kicking butt. You keep saying, Hey, anything you have for me to do, I'll do it. Doesn't matter how big or small. And here you are co-hosting a show, contributing to the flagship show and having your own podcast as well. Yeah. Again, I never thought that this would have been my life two years ago. You know what I mean? I'm 23 years old and to be able to get what I do, what I get to do is incredible. One second. I got to yell at my dog again. Janet. Do it. Quit. I'm definitely not editing this out, by the way. She has now decided that she's going to try and get on the kitchen counter. She literally never does this. She's a good dog. And then it's like, mom doesn't pay attention to me. Um, Come on, Janet. Yeah, no, but honestly, there's been so many opportunities that I, you know, never, never thought I would get. Um, you know, I've been a fill-in on Door Bumper Clear and mm-hmm. over at Dirty Mo Media. I mean, I listened to that when I was racing and I was like, holy cow, like, look at these two, like Brett Griffin and TJ Majors, like, holy cow. And now, like, I'm kind of one of the staple fill-ins. Like, I'm there, you know, every once in a while filling in for them. Like, what? You know what I mean? And the fact that people <laughs> reach out to me to commentate things and to be a part of things and they want me to, I'm like, this is so strange. I mean, it's it's strange to me. And I, um, I don't know if you ever do this. I'm super weird about listening back to stuff. Like, obviously, I'll listen back to stuff to, like, critique myself. But hearing myself too. is so cringy sometimes because I, I still haven't wrapped my head around the fact that I do this for a living. Yeah. That's, that's one of the first things that I was told in college and I was starting to do radio work was like, I was editing my podcast and I was like, Oh God, this is awful. And the sports director looked at me, he goes, get used to hearing and seeing yourself a lot for the rest of your life. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> I know when I edit my film reel, I like I like, get embarrassed. I had Dylan obviously go over my film reel and help me like cut. And I sent it to a couple people to help me like, you know, fine tune it. And I'm embarrassed. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, I don't want to send this to people. I know. And Dylan's so like, weird. it looks fine. Like this is stuff that literally went out on air, on TV, on Mav TV, whatever. And I, I mean, was like, we're I all our so own crazy. harshest critic. That's the thing, yeah. you know? Yep. Exactly. So you mentioned door bumper clear. Let, let's skip around to that now. So you co-host there and you recently did a live stream for the E NASCAR I Racing Pro Series Invitational <laughs> Race, which is a mouthful, um, but you did a live stream, so it was at Brett Griffin's house with him and Freddie Kraft because TJ was spotting for Joey in the actual race. I don't know how you got through that. I don't know how they're not fired. Nobody got fined or anything. But congratulations for surviving that. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so love those two. Freddie is obviously one of my good friends as well, and uh, Brett's awesome too. They text me um, Friday afternoon and they were like, hey, so we're going to pitch this idea to Dirty Mo Media. Uh, we want to see if you want to be a part of it. We're pretty much going to live commentate the, you know, invitational race on Sunday. Uh, and we're going to drink while we're doing it. Like we're going to advertise it as like, you know, unfiltered live commentary influenced by alcohol. And I was like, sure. <laughs> Why not? Like, I think it'd be a good time. And again, it's one of those things that like, I will be the first one to tell you that I market myself as unapologetically me. And I Mm -hmm. think that's something that I would be cool with. I think other female broadcasters might've been like, Oh, I can't be affiliated with that or that's negative, but no, like you're going to get what you see. And, um, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Yeah. Dirty Mo Media was all about it. They were like, yep, let's do it. This is awesome. We got a ton of positive feedback about it. And if you guys did watch it, 
uh, basically we turned it into a drinking game. So we were all drinking beer to begin with anyways. Yeah. And if there were green flag leader changes, we took a shot and I knew I was going to die. So I was doing half shots of fireball and the boys were doing full shots. By the time that race was over, it was like a three hour race. I literally was like ham sandwiched. Dylan had to drive me home. And I was laughing so hard. And if you watched, Uh, you could tell I was not doing well with those fireball shots. And actually, Clint Boyer, after that race, brought over the racing simulator that he had used and set it up. So all of us were trying to turn laps on this simulator. And we were all hammered. And Clint obviously wasn't because he was at Fox just prior to that. It was a mess. But it was so much fun. Everyone's asking for it to come back again this Sunday. Um, my liver can't take this much drinking in a short period of time. So I don't know. Next time do quarter shots instead of half shots. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm like, this is insane, but no, just get like a fireball colored water and just trick them. Yeah. There we go. I like that idea. I'll bring my own fireball. Yeah. That's not actually fireball. Exactly. (laughs) That works. Oh, they're insane though. They're a good group of people though. They provide the content that's real. Yeah. They absolutely do. I'm, I'm a loyal listener each week, as I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are, as I'm sure you are too, Hannah. So it's uh, it's cool because whenever I whenever I hear that you're co-hosting, I'm like, oh, there she is. Can't wait to, <laughs> for them to make more fun of her this week. What are they going to make fun of her for this time? Oh, every time. If it's not one every thing, it's another. Time. Yeah, that's right. And so that's only one of the many things that you've done on the side of your MRN stuff. Um, let's talk about Colossus at Bristol because you've had a lot of really cool moments being on the big screen there. Don't worry, we'll get to the elephant in the room in a moment. But let's start out with the cool stuff. I mean, I think um, one of the coolest things that you've probably done was interview Matt Benedetto after his second place finish in the, I, th- I guess it was a summer Bristol race last year. And the crowd was going wild. He was holding back tears. It was I mean, that was one of those things where it's like, wow, you got to pinch yourself because that was like one of the moments of the season and you were front and center. Yeah. So it was actually a fall night race last year. And oh, okay. going fall. into that weekend, Matt Benedetto had been informed by uh, LFR that he would not be returning. He would be a free agent. You know, that's extremely late in the season. Most of the time by right. fall Bristol, um, you know, drivers kind of have their plans figured out. So an extremely late free agent for Matt. And uh, and we know Matt's a fan favorite, too. Yeah, Matt's a fan favorite. Matt's an all-around good dude. And, yeah, uh, yeah I was working for Bristol that weekend. And it's kind of funny because Bristol kind of just lets me do what I want, as weird as that sounds, uh, <laughs> when it comes to, you know, getting shots. They pretty much just send me down there with a cam and say, have at it. So it's kind of nice because I'm able to play, you know, with the fan side of things, but also play with the reporter. And when I watched that race – um, anyone that's within the media world in NASCAR, there's a system of order when it comes to who gets what and how it goes is mm-hmm. live television gets first priority, then live radio and then track PA. So I'm third on that totem pole and I was watching everyone swarm to who won that race, Kyle, Denny, Denny, did. Denny. So I was watching a couple of people swarm to like Kyle and the guys that got eliminated in the playoffs. Right. And I was like, bang, this is my moment. And so Fox had went over there and already interviewed um, Matt. And then when I got to him, they had tossed the Fox, you know, commentary back up to the booth, which was live at Bristol. Um, And 
I'm sorry, NBC, not Fox. NBC had tossed mm-hmm. it live at the booth, which is back at Thurstall, so they were on the Peacock pit box. And I got a hold of it, and I was biting my cheek because Matt was so emotional to almost have won that race. He finally felt like they were running like they deserved to run. He'd put his best foot forward and now be a free agent. And, you know, the emotions were there. I mean, it was incredible. And then the entire Coliseum of Bristol Motor Speedway started cheering his name. I mean, it was I actually have chills talking about it right now. It was I just got chills too. one of the most incredible moments of my career and to be a part of that. And I mean, you could hear it on the NBC broadcast. I mean, they made a reference of it and I was like, whoa, this is, this is one of those moments that you like, don't forget. Oh yeah. It was crazy. And I remember I watched it back on Twitter the morning after, I think, I think I was on, I was on a plane heading back from Evergreen that, that weekend for K&N. And I was like, wow because I saw him do the TV interview but you obviously got him before that so that was kind of the first like you said with the totem pole that was the first interview that he did Mm -hmm. after he got out of the car so that was like fresh as can be the first time he's like actually speaking his emotions into the world and you were right there I mean he started crying and you gave him time you handled it really well it was just like that that was one of those things, like you said, that you will remember for the rest of your life. And I'm sure like when you're bigger and better and more successful and Matt's the same way winning cup championships or whatever, you two will look back and say, hey, remember that time? And you'll kind of reminisce on that. <laughs> Actually, a couple weeks later, I was at Richmond and I was working the Richmond race uh, for the playoffs. And I did an interview with Matt right before, uh, right, be- right after driver intros. And mm-hmm. him and I were sitting there. I go, you know, actually, I think the last time I talked to you, we were both crying. And he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That is the last time we talked. That's funny. So it's it's so cool. And, I mean, this goes back to having had a racing career myself. I feel so fortunate that I have such good friendships with a lot of these drivers. It's not just a, you know, media driver relationship. I mean, I'm buddies right. with them. I grew up racing with them. I hang mm-hmm. out with them outside of the racetrack. We're same, similar in age. And that shows, I truly think, in a lot of the content that I produce. So we've been talking about Colossus at Bristol. Should we just <laughs> dive right into it? Yeah, actually, let's might as well. I feel like uh, All right. we're gonna at one point we're just gonna sell T-shirts because I think we could make money off this. Well, I don't know why you haven't sold T-shirts already. That's besides the point. <laughs> yeah. So um, the douchebag comment. Let's get into it. I actually have a very unique perspective. I think only me and Jose Castillo, who was. Um, working with you that weekend. We, I think, have the only perspectives of the people that were actually standing next to you when you (laughs) literally said the words, what a douchebag, to Riley Herbst when he crashed. So obviously, everybody knows what happened. The mic was hot. You didn't know you were on. It It was a crazy miscommunication. It wasn't your fault, clearly. But I guess the events that followed after that, whether it was that day, that night, the week after were absolutely insane because before I, I hand it over to you, I do distinctly remember um, we were getting ready to go back green after the restart. And that was like, I think it was either the first lap crash or it was like early in the race. And um, you came over to me and you were like, hey, look at this. And your Twitter was blowing up. I mean, blowing the you know what up. And I checked mine and people were texting me. They were like, did Hannah just say that? And I was like, I don't know what she just said. And then you were like, I think I called him a douchebag on live air. I was like, well, that's funny. And I didn't really think anything of it. And I was like, whatever, back to the race. And then, you know, I didn't really understand the magnitude of it and how like far it got after the race. But 
I guess in that moment, you were talking to me, you were like, shit, did I just like lose my job? Like you were kind of low key freaking out a little bit. Yeah. So (laughs) that is one of those weird moments in my life again, that I will never forget. And realistically that could have been a super bad situation. So like you made it a good one though, which is amazing. Yeah. I got lucky in the, in the, in the tail end of that. And again, I feel like it's pretty on brand with me now, you know, as far as as if you, if you know who I am kind of a thing, realistically it could have been a lot worse. (laughs) Um, if you know me, that, that, that verbiage could have been much worse. Um, but yeah, that, (laughs) that situation, I remember it kind of happening and I was like, okay, whatever, it'll blow over. That's when I walked over and I was talking to you and I was like, man, dude, my Twitter's kind of blowing up on this. Didn't think much of it. And then it started going big time. Like my phone was blowing up and the people at Bristol Motor Speedway were so apologetic because again, it was kind of a technical deal and uh, it was their fault. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were like, you know, if you want to go home, you can go home. You don't need to finish this race. You can go home for the weekend. We don't really care. Like, we're sorry. We're so sorry. And I was like, no, because if I go home right now, people are going to think you fired me. And I can't have that perception. Like I need to, you know, essentially prove that I'm still here. And, uh, so I actually did victory lane from that race. Uh, I went right up to the top and interviewed victory lane there. And I was there for the rest of the weekend. And I was mortified to walk into the media center on the next day, which was Sunday uh, or Saturday It's Sunday. It was Sunday. And, Mm -hmm. um, I was mortified. I was like, this is so not good. I walk in there and I'm in the media center for not but 30 seconds. And from across the room, Claire B. Lang pipes up and goes, Hannah. And I was like, oh no. I was like, this is so not good. And she comes over and she's like, I just want you to know we were all out and we were with a bunch of executives and important people. And everyone thought that was the best thing ever. Like you were just thinking whatever you just said, what everyone else was thinking. And that's kind of what the actual like response was i actually got a lot of support via twitter people were like that was funny that was candid she was being i mean even like riley admits now like he was being a douchebag like it's it's not like you weren't it's not like you were lying well like it was literally it was and the people in the business like understand what happened like it was one of those things where your mic was not supposed to be hot and it was like that's literally the situation yeah yep nope most most people were very understanding of it and again riley and i have a long-standing relationship we grew up together he's from vegas We've grown right. up racing against each other, so there's a lot of backstory there. But, um, yeah, most most people were very understanding of it. There was a handful of people that were higher up that were not so understanding. Uh, they were like, you know, you need to pretty much contain being a loose cannon. That was unprofessional. Regardless of the situation, you don't do that. And I, to this day, will still say that I highly disagree with that. Like, at the end of the day, I'm a human being, too, and I'm here doing a job. Therefore, I'm going to treat you with the same respect that you treat me. And so that's kind of what I've always preached. And it kind of has gotten me in some binds a couple of times. You know what I mean? I've gotten to it with some PR people and whatever it is what it is. Um, but it turned out super funny and Riley and I, again, uh, actually was Iowa. So that was spring Bristol of that same year. I was at this race. I was at this Iowa race. I remember. Yep. So at Iowa, uh, probably a handful of weeks later, um, we, for whatever reason, I was working for MRN had a super long pre-race and I kid you not when I say that we interviewed first through 10th place pre-race in qualifying. And I was like, Oh my goodness. And so they're like, Hannah, we need another interview. And I'm like, oh, the only person in the top 10 that we haven't talked to was a <laughs> Riley Herbs. And I was like, you know what? It's been a month and a half. We're both okay. We've gotten over it. We hadn't really like talked about it, but we both right. had like let it go. 
And so I gave him the opportunity and I walked into the interview just like I would any other interview, you know. So what do you think about this? Da, 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 da. You've never raced here before, but you've got a good notebook with your teammate Harrison having finished second here three weeks ago. Um, you know. And he goes, oh, Hannah, nice to see you. Yep, he goes, Hannah, nice <laughs> to see you. Long time no talk. When was the last time we talked? Bristol? Oh, man. And I said, yeah, I think it was. Now, if you didn't know the backstory, our listeners were probably like, well, that was kind of weird, like just a random casual conversation happening live right. on air. If you know... You know, like we had, I had people texting me going, oh my God, I had to pull the car over. I was laughing so hard. Kyle Ricky was actually at a different racetrack. I want to say maybe it was uh, road Atlanta or something that weekend. And they were leaving the racetrack and, or they were at a cup race somewhere, maybe Michigan or something, but they were like, oh my goodness. We had to pull the car over. We were laughing so hard. (laughs) And I was like, oh no. Um, but it's been fine ever since then. You know what I mean? It was one of those moments that I literally can't go anywhere without someone bringing it up. I was in Canada for the truck race last year and some guy was like, Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. And I was like, Hey. And he's like, you calling that kid a douchebag is my favorite memory of last year. I mean, I've had <laughs> Clint Boyer who thrives off bringing that up to me every chance he gets. He's like, what up douchebag? What up douchebag? And I'm like, Oh my goodness. I mean, for them to all say that, you know, I've worked a couple cup races since then and, and they'll laugh at me and they'll be like, Oh, you're going to call me a douchebag. Like Alex Bowman thrives off making fun of me for that too. And I'm like, you know what? At least y'all know what you're in for. And at least you embrace it now. Like it's not one of those things where it's like you turn what, what could have been a literal career derailing negative into, I guess you could say kind of an overwhelming positive And now it's kind of just like a joke. Oh yeah. I mean, I had a full blown mental breakdown. I wouldn't, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I had a full mental breakdown. No, I, I know down. you were yeah. not, you were that, not doing well the moments that night, after. Yeah. That night that that happened because I, no one was really reassuring me of anything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay. I saw the Twitter positives, but at the end of the day, like the people on Twitter aren't going to, you know, secure you a me job. in a long term <laughs> career or pay my yeah. bills and that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh no, like what if the people at a network saw that or whatever, you know, the folks at MRN reached out to me at the tail end of the weekend. They were like, while we all thought it was super funny, that was your mulligan. Like moving forward, you always have a hot mic, you know, ha ha. I was like, okay, sounds good. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, no, like you said, I, I look back on that and I'm like, wow, that took like five years off of my life. But at the same time, it was worth it. I don't need those extra five years. What a time. What a time. Fun stuff, huh? Yep, it's been a it's been a it's been a journey, that's for sure. <laughs> so on the non-racing front, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you may not still be doing this, but do you still do some of the touch up and detail paint stuff? <laughs> yeah, so I do. I um actually during the weekdays do touch up and detail paint for car dealerships around the Charlotte area. So um I work with a couple of car dealerships and I'll go in and touch up all their used cars with rock chips, scratches, you know, door chips, that kind of stuff. Um any way that I can to make those look better. And again, another weird racing connection. As you guys know, in the freelance world, it's kind of tough to be guaranteed work, whether that's through the off season or whatever. And uh Amber Balkin introduced me to her friend Jamie Rutley, who is now uh Jamie Dakotis. She's married to Jimmy Dakotis, the supercross rider. And uh Jamie was doing this touch-up paint and I was like oh that's so cool and she's like yep it provides you know stability for us when during the off season and that kind of stuff and I was like oh that's you know kind of something I need to be involved with so she connected me with Sarah Price who um, if you follow off-road racing or 
um, trophy trucks or motocross. Sarah Price is a huge name. She's affiliated with Hoonigans now. Um, this is actually Sarah's company. It's called SP Enterprises. And there's actually a lot of people within motorsports, primarily female, that are doing this all across the country. And she created this program and this job essentially to help freelancers within motorsports be able to provide themselves steady income while chasing a career in motorsports and having the flexibility. I make my own hours. I go in when I want. Um, so That's I, awesome. yeah, it's, it's an incredible opportunity. I mean, it's paying its dividends, you know, right now is a prime example. So I, I know we've been talking for an hour, so I appreciate you giving me your time. Um, let's kind of recap here. So, I mean, you're working for the motor racing network. You call some, some NASCAR heat pro league races. You have your own podcast sealed off. You still do some racing every now and then whenever the opportunity presents itself. You co-host Door Bumper Clear. You did some work at NASCAR Roots with me, and you're only 23 years old, and you've lived in Charlotte for a few years now. You're getting ready to move in to a new house with Dylan. I mean, like you, it sounds like cliche, but like you are doing the thing, and I think you should be pretty proud of yourself and how far you've come in a relatively short period of time. I guess like it's not really a question, but just like, you should reflect on that every now and then and just be like, holy shit, I'm actually like doing this, you know, this is a big deal. And like, you're doing a lot of it really, really well. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I actually, um, I do do that every once in a while where I'm like, oh wow, you know, I'm, I've made it a lot further than I ever expected to, but at the same time, and I know that you can relate to this, you see what you have in your grasp and you see what you want next and, and you always want more. Exactly. So very often I have to tell myself, you know, to, have patience, you know, to me, the next step is, you know, dabbling in TV in some way, shape or form. And that's a tough, that's a tough thing to break into. And so, you know, over the off season, I was very frustrated. I was trying to make gains somehow because I had this all come to me so quickly um, that I wasn't ready for a plateau quite yet. And so, you know, I had a lot of people within the industry sat me down and were like, patience, you've got to look at what you've done thus far. It's, you know, insane so patience you're still young you're doing way more than someone your age would um and it's tough it's not fun when someone tells you to have patience and you want something like that but again I very often do reality check myself um I mean prime example I have two roommates um at the place I currently live that are the same age as me and I look at how different all three of our lives are and we're all the same age I'm like okay I'm okay I'm good yeah (laughs) I'm okay yeah. I know how to fold my laundry and do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank God for that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, but it is a weird kind of like dichotomy that, and like you said, we're similar in that respect. And I actually had this conversation with Ryan on the last episode. It's like you want to appreciate and you do appreciate to a certain extent how much you've done in a short period of time. And I'm sure for people like us, you know, like, I mean, when you're when you're standing on pit road at Daytona International Speedway, the weekend of the Daytona 500 and you're broadcasting cup races and you, and you're talking to drivers in victory lane and the winning crew chief and all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's one of those pinch yourself type moments, but at the same time you're saying to yourself, okay, well, I also want to be doing what Jamie Little's doing and interviewing the president of the freaking free world before the Daytona 500 gets underway. You know, it's, it's always one of those things where, you're always looking ahead, but you're always trying to do 110% at the role that you currently are doing. And it's just, 
it's a tough thing to do, especially when you have 2,000 people telling you you're doing great what you're doing now. Be patient. The results will come. But then you have the little devil on your shoulder saying, yeah, but you can do this right now. So why not do it right now and do everything you can to do it right now? But it's one of those things where it's just like, unfortunately, it takes time. Yep. That's why I always say that's why God made wine. <laughs> there you go. Are you a red or are you a white wine drinker? Um, I am both. I'm both. I'm probably primarily red. Fair. I figured you were a red gal. Yeah. Yep. I'm a red wine. All right. Let's close the talking about your two favorite things, Dylan and Janet. What do you say? Oh, they're so cute. I love them. <laughs> so um, I approve of Dylan because he has some Spartan blood in him because his sister, Kelsey, who I've never met, um, went, I think she graduated. I'm not sure, but she went to Michigan State. I think she was on track and field. Um, and I actually hit up Dylan's dad, who you guys probably know is Vince Welch on NASCAR on Fox. Uh, for some just networking and broadcast advice a few years ago. And I mean, you know, Vince, he's a super nice guy. I was like super gracious with his time, helped me out a bunch of everything. And when I met Dylan and met Vince in person for the first time, I, I always give him a go green because of, of Kelsey. So I approve of you dating Dylan because of the Spartan connection. Oh, that's what it is that you approve of. I appreciate that. Yep. That's the only thing. Yeah. Yep. Between him and Janet, they're about the only thing keeping my sanity right now. I'll tell you that much, but <laughs> Um, no, it's been so much fun. I mean, you know me. I Everywhere we go, I'm like, dog, 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 dog. Literally everywhere. So now I have my own dog, and she's phenomenal, although she, she's the goodest girl. She is. She's the goodest girl most of the time. I don't want to be too generous there with her. She's still a puppy. She's, she's nine months old. She's the cutest girl. She is the cutest girl. We'll give Australian her Australian Shepherd, right? Yep. She's a nine-month-old Australian Shepherd, and she is, oh my gosh, she has such a huge personality. It's insane. And she's loving like every second of mom and dad being home all the time right now. And I might lose my sanity, but at least Janet's having a good time. Everybody, please go check out Super Planet Janet on Instagram. You will not regret it. Yes. Super Planet Janet. She's a galaxy girl. I will say when you posted the pics of her playing in the water, that was the first time she was in the water. Yeah. She'd never been swimming before. Oh my God, that that literally brought a smile to my face because I'm going stir crazy inside just like everybody else. And I literally looked at those pictures for like five minutes. I was like, this is so cute. She's so funny. She's so animated. And like she, she, oh my goodness. She, like I said, she was sitting on top of the couch at one point during this interview, dropping the bone on my head because I wouldn't pay attention to her. I was going to say, I'm surprised she didn't make more cameos in the, in this hour that we've been talking. Yeah, no, Dylan, Dylan got home. So he's, he's preoccupying uh, her. Well, I'll let you get back to, to Janet. I'll let you get back to Dylan. But um, thank you for your time. And also, I mean, I, I tell it to you all the time, but uh, you've been a very big help in my career, which is kind of crazy to think about because we're around the same age. You're a little younger than me. But um, like I said, I mean, you've done you've done so much stuff and you do it all super well. So thanks for all the help that you've given me. Thanks for all the content that you've given all those NASCAR Coast to Coast loyal listeners. Thanks for being an ear to vent on. And I, I hope I've done the same for you. So Keep up the great work. Thanks for being a kick-ass friend, and uh, stay safe with uh, coronavirus, I guess. Yeah, appreciate it. I'll see you hopefully to racetrack sometime soon. If not, we can all just have a Skype date and drink wine together. I'm down. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Davey. And we're back. Woof. Thanks for sticking with me. We just kept talking and talking and talking, and Janet made a couple appearances, and unfortunately Dylan didn't, but he was also there. I mean, sheesh, we could talk for hours, but... We know that you got stuff to do in your life. Go go take a walk. Go work out. Go grill outside. Go eat something. Do something. Just don't 
you know what to do. I told you on the last episode, listen to the people smarter than you. And hopefully this worldwide pandemic can be over sooner rather than later. So I didn't give you a reggae tone because we didn't really have an opening segment to go into. I'm not going to give you a lug nuts of the week. Cue the music because we have no lug nuts because nothing's really happened since the last time I talked to you guys. But we will be back next week for another episode, episode 49. You want to take any guesses who that's going to be? With somebody from the racing world, do I know who yet? I sure don't. Is it going to be great, whoever it is? It sure will be. But until then, stay inside, stay safe, stay healthy. Please, as always, leave me a rating and a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud. This has been the Jimmy Johnson edition of Victory Lane. Peace and love, my dude and dudettes. Catch you on the flip side.